Protests have reverberated around the country. Among them, 1281 is in position to deliver more gas. We've seen looting, violence, more accusations of police brutality. Parts of Minneapolis still literally look like war zones. But later today, people will stop what they're doing and remember George Floyd himself. A large memorial has been planned for this afternoon in Minneapolis before he's finally laid to rest in Texas next week. And leading up to it, the Floyd family and their lawyer have been asking... What about the officers involved in his death? What is their fate? Hey, y'all, did y'all just hear? All four officers have been charged! Well, as of this morning, the consequences for those officers suddenly look a lot more dire. And not just the one who kept his knee pressed on George Floyd's neck. Tonight, the major news here, all four former police officers involved have now been charged in his death. Derek Chauvin, his knee on Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes. Charges against him now upgraded from third to second degree murder. Yesterday, the state attorney general, Keith Ellison, announced new charges. That was one of the baseline demands of many protesters. But will those charges stick? I want to start by going straight to ABC's chief legal analyst, Dan Abrams. Dan, Derek Chauvin is the officer that was already charged with third degree murder. Now he's being charged with second degree murder. Can you tell me the difference? Can you tell me how big that decision is? Well, this is a, a big upgrade in the charge. And remember, most states don't have three degrees of murder. Minnesota is one of only a handful of states that, that has three types of murder as opposed to two. I believe the evidence available to us now supports the stronger charge of second degree murder. We've consulted with each other and we agree. But this really moves it from effectively an unintentional murder to an intentional one and that means what like he didn't premeditate killing somebody but he didn't mean to kill them like there was intent there is that the gist with intent you know intent in the law we don't quite call it on purpose but effectively uh that's what it means that there you could you could argue that the intention was to commit the underlying felony of the assault as opposed to the intent to actually take the life out of him, but regardless, it is now an intentional crime. Second, today, arrest warrants were issued for former Minneapolis police officers, uh, J.A. King, Thomas Lane, and Tutau. But also, when you're talking about charging these other officers with aiding and abetting, I think you needed to have the intentional conduct on the part of the primary actor here. So big upgrade goes from up to 25 years to up to 40 years. And now these aiding and abetting charges for the other three officers as well. Well, and so let's go into the charges against the other officers. I mean, how, by the way, how often do we see this? How often are cops actually convicted of seeing misconduct and doing nothing about it? Because this is different from, you know, departmental disciplinary action. This isn't about seeing conduct and doing nothing about it. This is about holding him down. The complaint also says Officer Tao got a hobble restraint to bind Floyd's feet, but the officers decided not to use it and instead stayed on top of him. According to the original complaint, one of the officers said should we roll him on his side, but Chauvin didn't do that. Floyd- the allegations here are that they all were part of the restraint of George Floyd. And aiding and abetting is a crime where you can end up serving the same amount of time as the person who was the primary actor here. Wow. So 
in theory, each of the other three officers are also facing up to 40 years in prison. Well, and that's kind of my question. It's weird, right? Because if I saw someone violently holding another person down or and then and, and, and I even helped hold it, like that doesn't happen to me every day. But cops, like part of the job is restraining people. But when you do it wrong or you do it violently, I think, does it matter to prosecutors that they're cops? Is that going to play into it? Oh, absolutely. It's going to matter to prosecutors and it'll matter to the defense. In so many of these horrible instances, in which uh, law enforcement tragically kills a member of our community, we are talking about split-second decisions. You know, people often say, well, you know, if I had choked someone on the street, I would have been charged right away. Yes, that's true, because there is a difference in the legal standard as to what police are allowed to do versus what an ordinary citizen is allowed to right. do. We are not talking about a split-second decision that was made incorrectly. There's somewhere around 300 seconds in those five minutes. With that said, prosecutors here are alleging that these police officers clearly crossed the line. These three other officers being charged. What do you think? Um, to be honest, right now they've just been charged. Now, you know, they haven't gone a step further, and it, it really should. It should, it should have been gone happened a long time ago. Okay, so last question then. Will these charges stick? Like, are, are these charges that, in your mind, seem geared towards a conviction, or is this a political issue where the state AG feels like, you know, I got to bring stronger charges, or people are going to be even more upset? Well, look, you could also argue that it's a little of both, right? Which is, it, it is impossible to separate out. I think the amount of pressure uh, on a prosecutor like this with the charges. Meaning, I think you could often see a prosecutor say, with this much unrest, I'm going to file charges and I'm going to let a jury decide. Um, but in this case, yeah, certainly with regard to Derek Chauvin, the video is incredibly damning. The autopsy commissioned by Floyd's family found it was a homicide by asphyxiation. There's going to be a lot of discussion about cause of death. The official medical examiner's autopsy also found it was a homicide, but pointing to cardiopulmonary arrest that was complicated by law enforcement restraint and neck compression. And then you're going to see the other officers claim, I would expect, that they didn't uh, do anything to, to really... Uh, aid or abet in a crime. Prosecutors will say that it was clear that George Floyd was struggling, that there was no reasonable explanation for why the police were doing what they did, and they're all responsible for the end result. It's going to be questions for the Floyd family. Is this enough for them? But also for protesters in these cities, large and small, what do they want to see? What actionable items would satisfy them besides just these charges? Uh, Dan Abrams, thanks so much. Okay, my pleasure. Jonathan, sorry, a lot of tear gas in the air right here. I don't know what started it, to be honest, but you see all the police just moved up to the barriers. The police essentially moved Remember that time that protesters were forced out of Lafayette Square near the White House? 
And then minutes later, the president and his team walked through that very space to take a photo off in front of a church. Well, regardless of what you thought of that moment, it really defined President Trump's response to these demonstrations this week. Now, the White House has said no one ordered that the protesters be cleared for this photo op. He wanted to go to the church. Law enforcement made sure he could get to the church. That's how the White House describes it. They've also said tear gas was never deployed. Rather, it was smoke canisters and chemical irritants, which is not a big difference to the protester who's gasping for breath with stinging eyes. Now this morning, the growing fallout. The former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Admiral Mike Mullen, calling it a stunt and saying he was sickened. And that but some of the most outraged people over this whole incident were military people and veterans. One, because they couldn't believe defense officials were participating in all this choreography. And two, because of the president's threat to send in active duty troops to communities seeing violence. And yesterday, we saw several extraordinary events in public. First, the commander-in-chief openly disagreed with by his current defense secretary and then blasted by his old one. ABC's chief global affairs correspondent Martha Raddatz joins us now from Washington. Martha, can you just walk me through how this played out? This seemed like a significant moment for the White House. It, it, it's just a remarkable turn of events. You not only have the current defense secretary disagreeing, openly disagreeing with the president, but looking at some of the most revered officers and high-ranking officers and secretary of defense in the military. And so walk me through this. Let's start with current secretary Mark Esper, because we saw his attitudes on even that trip to the church kind of evolve over several days. Well, at first, the defense officials were saying, look, he didn't know he was going to a photo opportunity, didn't really know he was going to a church. He gave an interview. He said the same thing, didn't really know it was a photo op. But then he started explaining it himself. I did know that following the president's remarks on Monday evening, that many of us were going to join President Trump and review the damage in Lafayette Park and at St. John's Episcopal Church. He said he knew he was crossing the street, he knew he was going over there somewhere, didn't know about the Bible. What I was not aware of was exactly where we were going when we, when we arrived at the church and what the plans were once we got there. Well, and so I guess you can argue over how that makes the military. Man, just lying. Just lying, lying, lying. You know, how are you going to activate antenna of just... Yeah, we didn't have enough of that. I just was trying to find out what was going to do with the other uh, officers. But as you see, they didn't arrest all of them now. Now I'll just have to wait till they go to court and trial it because I just feel like this here, if... They're doing all this to try to quiet things down, but if they don't seal the deal and uh, keep them in jail and have a trial and the laws don't be changed, I mean, it, it's going to be a serious, serious uh, revolution going on in this country uh, <laughs> that I don't think they're ready to, to, to deal with. So, come on. How you guys doing? It's June 4th. Um, it's Dr. Deep with the Boom Factor. I am doing some research on some issues and just want to stay updated with uh, what's going on and keep you guys updated, those that don't literally 
uh, have a television <laughs> in your home or you have some form of special um, confinement that some may not be able to see and just can hear um, or don't have access to a television. So I just want to make sure that you guys hear what's going on now. Very disappointed in uh, our Saints quarterback. Uh, he just don't understand, you know, that none of us disrespecting the flag because the flag was really part of our shared blood from our forefathers. But the whole point is, is we just want you to see about the movement. You know, the knee was about the movement. Nobody wasn't disrespecting the flag. And I don't know why people still kind of stuck on that. And you see all this stuff going on. I mean, you couldn't even say anything about the injustice. You still want about the flag, you know. And I made my comment on his feed and said, come on, come on, Drew. You, 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 you homegrown. Now, you show you, you have at least 85% of New Orleans is supporting you and been backing you and they are and they are native blacks <laughs> you know and people of color and you can't even look at this thing once more and see what's what's really going on about the knee so i just pray that he have an eye awakening or he just need to go and retire you know uh some people just need to keep their mouth closed if you if you don't even understand what's going on. It, it's even beyond the knee in the killing. It just the in the injustice and the equality that was supposed to have been given to the blacks through the 13, 14, 15 amendment in the civil rights. We never received the hundred percent of what was promised. And I believe that's what's going to come forward. And that's what I'm seeking after. You know, this is what I'm looking for. I know we're looking for justice because we do need help with the policemen and stop being bullied with their authority. I remember when I was growing up, we had policemen that was our neighborhood friend. You know, they came and check up on us and make sure everything is all right. And then we say, look, we got some people, some youngsters coming in the neighborhood. We don't know who they are, but... Um, we just want to let you know that we're keeping an eye on them. And they're like, well, do what y'all have to do to maintain your neighborhood. Just give us a call and we'll come out there. And they're, and they're literally, they'll come and sit and talk to you. They, they didn't pull out no guns on you. I don't remember that. I don't remember them pulling guns out on us on, on the onset. It's like as soon as they get out the car, they got the gun on you. Don't even try to talk to you, and then they heighten the the conversation because they try to make it seem like you have an issue, you know. So, I I I just employ what's going on now, and I just I'm 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 excited, but yet still praying because I'm excited because it's this took off like wildflowers. It's like. My heart just weep when I see the whole country, you know, Nigeria, London, Brazil, Paris. Oh, my gosh, that just have just taken this baton and just standing with us here because I have a black son. I have nephews. I have grandchildren, 
You know what I'm saying? I have cousins, man, that we all have been touched by this bully behavior from the police department. Even myself, my daughter would say, Mom, remember when the policeman pulled you over and how that man was talking to you and stuff? And I was like, yeah, that was in 2012, man, right here in Houston. The Belair policeman, right in that little division with Belair. And, man, that was, man... I just thank God for the Holy Ghost because it could have went another way. How they was treating me, pull me out, told me to get out the car, how they was treating me. I mean, oh my God, how they was talking. Then they was talking to my daughter any kind of way. Man, I'm telling you, I believe that every black person had to experience some type of way. My son experienced uh, unlawfulness with police officers in, in New Orleans before we moved to Houston. So... I mean, enough is enough, man. We need to be able to call the policemen when we really need them and they sort of like really be our defense, you know, and, and, and come and, and find out what's going on when we need help. We can't even call them, you know. Like my daughter say, Mom, when I see the sirens, man, I just cut on my phone automatically because I don't even know how they mindset. That that policeman probably woke up on the wrong side of bed. And in his mind, it's like, okay, so I'm, I'm going to get somebody today. We just don't know their mentality, man. And they really have some good cops out here. I mean, some good cops. But we need the good cops now. You you need to blow the whistle. I know y'all got y'all little cold little actors, but... If you really see a, a one of your colleagues really going beyond the call, that's going to hurt somebody and take somebody's life? Nah. It's for to de-escalate the situation, not escalate the situation. And that's what we've been seeing, y'all. We've been seeing all through the world. They escalated the situation, you know. And I believe even the, um, the Asian police officer that was part of these arrests, you know, it looked like he was trying to say something, but he just turned his back to it because he couldn't even look at it anymore. But why he just didn't intervene and stop and say, you know, Officer Chavain, please get off that get off that man neck. Why y'all holding him down? Just go ahead. I want to find out why they took him out the car when they had him in the car. They already had put the handcuffs on the guy, walked him across the street, walked George Floyd across the street. So they already had something in mind what they was going to do. He was already in the police car. They took them out. Man, that's just some crazy. It's scary. It, I mean, fear is not of God, but just to think about it. Just to think about being in that. Just, you know, if everybody can just stop and sit down and just empathize, put yourself in that situation just for a moment. In 10 minutes, in a situation like that, just say, wow, that could have been me. It could have been me. It could have been me. It could have been me. And I believe if if everybody could just think about the situation that it could have been you, you can have a whole nother mindset. And that's where the healing come in. And the healing got to come in for the mind and the heart. Because what, what was taught was wrong because of what they was trying to maintain back in 19, you know, 16 and 60. And just by me looking at the dates on how the Jim Crow law was still active until 1963, I believe. And when Martin Luther King came on the scene, well, really it was before um, Martin Luther King, it was Reverend Jones. 
And, and, and Martin Luther King was a mentor underneath Reverend Jones because he was getting older. You just got to go and look, look back at history. Okay. And so they were still lynching back then when, when the, the, the blacks were striving to just live in peace. You see? And so if I was born in 1965 and Martin Luther King came on the scene, well, that's when the Civil War and the protests and stuff started happening around 1964. Man, I mean, I do remember all the name calling and stuff going into elementary and middle school. But see how close that is. It's like they haven't been that long. 50 years later, and my gosh, we still dealing with this same issue. It's a heart issue, and it's a mindset. And I'm sorry, the 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 the, the white privilege have to be debunked. You don't have any more privilege now. We all are privileged because we all created in God's image. We have different shades of skin, but we all bleed the same color. And that's red. We all go to the bathroom and do two things. Number one and number two. Our body functions, we all have a heart. We all have livers. We all have spleens, a spine. We have two feet, two hands, eyes, ears, nose, a mouth, a tongue, hair. Some don't, but some do. Gray, black, brown. Some dyes it. Hey, a man and woman come together sexually and produce, reproduce a beautiful child. We still all have the same function. So what makes one human being feel like that they are more, um, be- much better than another human being, rich or poor? I believe in the words of Jesus when he told Peter. He told Peter, when you have. becomes when you have been delivered and when you become strong and I'm just rephrasing it and when you come to the knowledge of the truth go back and strengthen your brother I believe God give people opportunities when you become wealthy and you start making money you have all resources and you have obtained everything that you ever wanted in your life then go back and help your next fellow person you have more individuals that don't have helping and serving other people that don't have. And then when a crisis come or a pandemic like now come, then, hey, where's the help? And that's a whole nother message. So I'm just, I'm just sharing on that, that degree this morning. And, um, we're just going to take it one day at a time for this is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it and hearts are, 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 are bleeding out but God comes to mend all the broken hearted and he's going to heal the nation because as you see you got young people all na- all nationalities all <laughs> All sexes, I mean, it's just like, it's phenomenal to see. It's beautiful to see. It's beautiful to see. In my eyes, it's beautiful to see. But now, what are the politicians going to do? What are the senators in the Congress? 
what are y'all going to do? What are people in the community, are you going to make them phone calls and call your senator and voice your opinion and want better um, economical um, resources available for black people, for the black children, for the schools and everything? These laws that's on the book, they're just sitting there. We need to activate these these resolutions and the laws and submit them so they can become, uh, uh, I, I, I mean, I'm rewinding, um, submitting the bill, I guess. That's how I go, a bill or the law. And when the Congress votes on it, it becomes an act. So that's the law, right? So y'all know, help help Dr. Dio. It's still early in the morning. <laughs> All right, let me let y'all go, and I'm going to holler at you guys later, okay? God bless. Nightliest of the nightly race, who sing of the day of old. Who's the nightly race? Not African. I'm, assume, I'm assuming a deathless song of Southern chivalry. This is a story about Southern chivalry standing up for their way of life and their people, their homes, their farms, their children, the generations to come. No, there's no tearing this thing down. This will loom here. This isn't some little town square. This is the State House of Alabama. This is the Capitol. Some memorials are easier to find than others. 20 miles from the Capitol, a plaque stands on the side of the highway. It marks the spot where Elmore Bowling was lynched and his body left in a ditch, just a hundred yards from where his five-year-old daughter, Josephine, waited for him to come home. When you're black in Alabama, uh, you can't help but walk in the shadows of these huge confederate monuments but do you see a connection between the message being sent about white supremacy and what happened to your father oh very much so one of the articles that um described my father's death says enraged whites jealous about the success of a black man if you acquire more than they think you should they gotta put you back in your place enraged enraged josephine told us she paid for her father's marker herself after the state refused to allow her to place it on public land. When you think about what you missed in life from not having him. My mom went from prosperity to poverty uh, almost overnight. Sometimes I've wondered what my life could have been had it lived. What my life could have been. Earlier this year, Elmore Bowling's name was included among the thousands of lynching victims at the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. The memorial's director, Brian Stevenson, hopes the collected names will help change the narrative of a country still grappling with how to tell its own story. I moved to Montgomery, 
This was a city that had 59 markers and monuments to the Confederacy, and you couldn't find the word slave or slavery anywhere. How is that even possible? It's because people have been very intentional about denying that part of our history. So this memorial, this site, is intended to be a very intentional response to our silence. We talk to folks around the country about um, what the Confederacy stood for and the monuments. They say black people own slaves, too. There were white slaves. There were many reasons beyond slavery many. for the Civil War. These are all things that are designed to deracialize what happened. And they are aberrations. And we've allowed that to happen because we were fighting these other struggles, right? And so this site is designed to help people understand that you can't ignore this any longer. So you see one county with one name, and then one county with two names, and then you see a county like this with over a dozen names. Do you have uh, any Dodge County, Georgia? Yeah, we do. My great-grandfather, they were tenant farmers yeah. in Dodge County, Georgia. Yeah. And apparently there was some issue with some white men yeah. when they owed him money around yeah. uh, the end of the year. Yeah. Right, selling yes. up. Yes, yes. Sent his uh, son, Cornelius, into town. Yeah. They shot him, put him on a horse, sent him back. Yeah, yeah. When we have the death certificate, it says, age 12, wow. 12, call the death gunshot wounds. Yeah. People who engaged in these terror lynchings could have buried the bodies in the ground, could have tried to hide this violence, which is what you would have imagined people would do, they did the opposite. They were actually proud to engage in this kind of racial terror. That's why hanging was so common. The whole idea was to taunt and to terrorize and to torment African Americans. That's why you have to think about this as terrorism. There are thousands who get killed, but there are millions who are victimized. You know, seven black people lynch in Screamer, Alabama in 1888 for drinking from a white man's well. Dozens in Louisiana because they were protesting their low wages. Am I crazy for when I read these things? I'm scared because sometimes I feel like this could, this could have been last week. Oh, it could have been. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It just weighs on you. And there's so many more because yeah. I know from my family's yeah. story yeah. what happened. Oh, of course. And he, he, he's not here. Yeah, of course. There's so much more. Some say these monuments are about heritage and heroes, but if anything, they are also reminders of America's unsettled war with itself. I started this journey looking for light and understanding, to examine what these monuments mean to those who honor them. But it was never really about the monuments, the large, looming stone facades, or the grotesque stumbling blocks, or what lives inside the men whose grip on history has been shaped by the myths they hold as truths. If anything, it was about a reckoning and a time of American terror. I'm not sure where we go from here, but the road through history is long and winding, with markers along the way. Wow, that was interesting, boy, I tell you. That's, um, that is uh, very, very, whew, 
informative and that just a little um a lot of things that are happening now <laughs> within this country even for us native blacks we really have to go back and really dig and search out our own history because we've been lied to we have not been taught the truth and as um, the next generation um, come forward, we have to give our children some type of identity and let them know who they are and, and they are worth. They have value and they have worth and they have the right to walk in this earth, in this country, proud, not just to say that they are Americans, but they can say we are native black Americans. So this is Dr. D. And as I um, share with you guys, I will be plugging in um, different things that I am learning myself. And because my children is asking me questions because I only was able to teach them what I was taught. You know, and I knew growing up, you know, about the hardship from the slave because my great-grandmother shared that with us. And I have aunts and and cousins, and and I'm telling you, we have history. So I just encourage you guys, go and sit down and take time out with your grandmother and your your great-great-grandmother and grandfather. Well, it would be great, great. Well, anybody that's a great, <laughs> that's older than you, I, I implore you, go go and spend a day with them. Yeah, they may talk and may repeat some stuff or whatever, but retain that history. Man, you'd be amazed of what your people have endured and encountered. You know what I'm saying? So uh, with that said... Be blessed. And until I have some more information, I will plug it all in. This is Dr. D with the Boom Factor.